As we come to the Word of God this morning, we are touching on another uh, area of conformism. I started several weeks ago talking about areas in the life of the church where we sometimes swallow the camel. We're straining out gnats in our lives in terms of don't want to do that or do this and in terms of labeling what we think is worldly. And sometimes while we're straining out gnats, we tend to absorb or swallow camels, big areas of our, of our lives that we are more like the culture than not, where we're less like the Bible calls us to be and more like the world around us tends to be. Last week we talked about individualism and the biblical understanding of, of corporate life, body life in Christ. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? And the, and the deeper meaning of fellowship as a shared life together. This morning I wanted to touch on materialism, which is one of those areas that we, we live in a material world, and it's a very difficult, challenging thing to be in the world but not of it. And it's one of those camels that we struggle with, is to not be like the world around us, to have different priorities as we live this life and invest ourselves day by day. So this morning we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Hear then the word of God. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us along with with Jesus, and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And so we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, they are passing, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people. We have gathered in your name. We have gathered because we love you and we want to worship you and to know you and to love you and to walk with you. We want to be shaped and formed and guided by your word. We want to hear it. We want to know it. We want to be changed by it. We want to live according to it. So Father, would you visit us this morning with your word and your power. And work in our hearts and work in our lives that we might be more like Christ. For it is in His name that we ask and pray these things. Amen. It was Carl Sagan, a scientist, who said that the cosmos is all there is. It's all there was. And it's all that there will be. The cosmos is all there is, all there was, and all there ever will be. He is saying that the material universe is everything. And it's eternal. It's the material universe that's always been here and will always be here. It's the material stuff that is the stuff of life. It's all that there is. And so it is that which has ultimate value. We eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. 
The material universe, the cosmos, is all there was or will be. And, and those are, this is the choice that we have, isn't it? It's either his perspective that the universe is eternal, that the material stuff is eternal, or that there is a, an intelligent, personal being who is eternal. We live in a world of persons. We live in a world of stuff. And either the stuff was all that there was and ultimately will be, or there is a person from which all persons come. There is an intelligent designer. There is a God. There is, there is someone behind what is material and what we see. These are our choices. There is, there is the stuff and there is the spiritual. There is God. And whichever one we understand to be eternal is the one that is supreme. And it's the one that we will serve. We will either eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Or we will no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who died for us. And who purchases our souls for an eternal life. Right? Jesus says we have to choose between these options. He's, he said to His disciples as they were following Him, He says, you, you cannot serve both God and material stuff. You can't serve both God and In the universe of the material, you have to choose a master. There can only be one master. In Luke chapter 12, it's there in the first point in your bulletin. Jesus says, take care and be on your guard. Right? He uses two phrases. So this is something important for Jesus. He doesn't repeat himself often. But when he does, he's trying to get our attention. He's saying something important. And so he says, be careful, watch out, take care, be on your guard. Pay attention to this one, friends, against, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be really careful, he says, about the way we feel toward stuff, right? Covetousness. It has to do with the way that we feel and think about stuff, isn't it? He says, be really careful about that relationship. Because life does not consist in stuff. And then he goes on to tell the story of a man. It's a parable that we call the parable of the rich fool. He goes on to tell the story of a man who neglected his spiritual priorities and then goes on to discover that life was not as long as he thought it was. And the things that he thought were so important and that he invested so much of his time and his energy in and his material prosperity ultimately didn't mean anything. When life comes up short on you. Right? And most of us would affirm the superiority of spiritual values. As I lay these two things out there for us, for most people here this morning, I would think that's a no-brainer. Right? It's a no-brainer. I know the answer to that one. But the temptation is to live like materialists. Right? The temptation isn't to... For any of us to say, no, I value material things more than I value God. I value, you know, the stuff that I can buy more than I value the kingdom of God. Or I value my comfort and my ease in this world more than I love Jesus. I mean, nobody would ever say that in the church. But the temptation is, when we go home and live, and where we live it out, is to live like materialists. To live like this, this stuff is supremely important. Paul helps us to put the material and the spiritual in proper perspective. 
there are about probably a hundred different passages you could go to to preach a sermon like this. Uh, between the material and the spiritual, and materialism, and, and, and the spiritual life that God calls us to, and the spiritual priorities. But Paul helps us in this passage as he describes what I think is a life of faith. I think he does a good job of laying out this life of faith. And so he starts there in verse 13, and he says, since we have the same spirit of faith, right? we are a people of faith. As he writes to the church, and he says, my faith and your faith, we have this same shared Life of faith, according to what has been written. Right? The life of faith is a life according to what has been written. Right? We get our perspective, our worldview from what has been written. We get our values in life, spiritually and morally and materially, from the world in life view that is here, that is written for us. According to what is written, we have this life of faith. And it's here that we get a taste of the truth of realities beyond physical sight. Of something more. Something beyond. Right? And so in verse 14 he goes on and he says, what are some of those things? Some of those realities that are beyond physical sight? Well, he goes immediately, he says, we have this same spirit of faith. What does this faith involve? What is the content of this faith? In verse 14 he says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus is also going to raise us with Jesus and bring us into his presence. Right Now there's a world in life view. There is a perspective on things, right? It starts out with God raises the dead. Right? We... Our world in life view, the faith that we share, he says, God raises the dead, and he's already done it. He's already done it, and he raised Jesus. And he raised Jesus to his right hand, and he sits at the Father's right hand, and he reigns, and he rules over the circle of the earth as king. That he's given the name above every name, right? And he's given the crown as he sits at the Father's right hand. God raises the dead. He's already done it. Jesus reigns as king as his right hand. And the promise that flows out of it, he says, is not only has he raised the Lord Jesus, but that he's going to raise us with him. That he's going to bring us into his presence. Just like he brought Jesus into his presence. Right now he's speaking of destiny. He's speaking of our direction in life. And what is he saying? He's saying this world is ultimately not our destiny, is it? Right? This is not our home. We're just passing through. He says that ultimately, just as Jesus was raised from the dead to a life above and beyond the life of this earth, he says that is the destiny that will be raised with him, that we're seated with him in heavenly realms and that he will bring us into his presence, that our destiny is not ultimately in this world, at least not until it's a new heavens and a new earth. And all things as we know it have been rolled away and remade. We're pilgrims and strangers. Our hope is not here. Right? And I I try to say that. I did a funeral yesterday morning and it's one of the things as we gather as God's people and we stare that kind of reality in our face and I say, this is a day. I say it every time I open a funeral that we're gathered here to remember someone and to celebrate their life and, and they're going home. But we're also here to remember and to reaffirm our faith. This world was never our hope. 
But it was never about this life ultimately, as nice as it is. Our hope is not here. Our hope is in a resurrection. There in your bulletin, Hebrews eleven thirteen. Old Testament when men and women of faith, when the New Testament is saying, look at what it means to live a life of faith. And so we get this hall of faith in Romans or Hebrews chapter 11. And it says this, you know, men and women of the Old Testament, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were seeking a homeland. They desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Because he has prepared for them a city. And it was that city that they were seeking. It was that city that they were pursuing. It was that city that they were living for. It was that city, that life, that being with him in his presence, in what he has prepared for us, that governed their believing and their values and their living. And so he's not ashamed to call them, for him to be called their God. Because he was their supreme value. He was the one they worshipped and lived for. They were strangers seeking their heavenly destiny. And so he moves in verse 15. And he says for all of this is for your sake. So that as grace extends more and to more and more people. It may increase in thanksgiving and glory to God. He says, if all this is true, Christ has been raised and our destiny is to be raised and our hope is not in this world. And he says, then there is a mission, that our mission is different than those who think that the universe is ultimate, that the universe is all there is or was or ever will be. Their mission to eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow they die is different than our mission because we know tomorrow death has been swallowed up in victory. And that there is a resurrection. He says, so our mission, he says, is that the grace of God would extend to more and more people. That the grace of God would reach out beyond these walls. It would extend to more and more people for the thanksgiving and glory to God. That our mission is to bring as many with us as possible. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. And he says that our mission is to extend that hope of eternal life, that expectation to more and more people so that they would share in this glory. And so verse 16, he says, so we don't lose heart. Though the outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. He says we don't lose heart. We're a people of hope. We're a people of anticipation. right? We're a people of faith, and so we have heart. And even though the outward man, he says, even though we live in a world that is decaying, even though I live in a body that is literally decaying around me, I'm only in my mid-40s, mid to late 40s, and, and it has begun. right? I, this is, even though the outer man is wasting away, it's not going to get better, it's only going to get worse. And we all go the way of all flesh. He says the outer man is wasting away. We know that life does not consist in material health and prosperity. That's what Jesus says. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, but it also, even in the abundance of our health, as nice as it is, I think we should be good stewards. I mean, and that's the other side of this coin. We need to be good stewards of the health and the life that God has given. But it's not our ultimate hope. 
we're a people of hope. We don't lose heart because our hope is not in these things. And as much Botox and and other kinds of liposuction and and other things that we do to keep our bodies younger or strong, you know, that we're going to lose that battle. Life does not consist in these things. The outer man is wasting away, he says, but the inner man is being renewed. Right? The inner man has heart. The inner man has faith, right? It's here in the soul that faith reigns. It's here in the soul that Christ reigns. It's here in the soul that Christ is in us and He is the hope of glory. And that's what the Scripture says. There's an inner life. There's a spiritual life. There are spiritual realities and spiritual values that that supersede all of these material concerns. There in your bulletin under the First point again, Colossians 1, he says, this is the mystery. It's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. That's where hope is. Life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. Life consists, our hope consists in the Christ that is in us, who is the hope of a glory, something beyond and more than this world could possibly ever offer. Romans 8 there, he says, but if Christ is in you, The hope of glory. If the hope of glory is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the outer man is wasting away. He says the spirit is life because of righteousness. What does he say? In the care of the soul, in relation to Christ, is the first priority of a life of faith. The outward life will waste away, but the inward life is being renewed day by day as we walk with Christ, as we spend time with Christ, as we know Christ and love Christ and worship Him, and as He was raised and our hope is in being raised along with Him and being brought into the presence with Him, and our hope is renewed, our joy is renewed, our passion is renewed, and day by day we walk according to eternal hopes and dreams. So verse 17, he says, it gives us perspective for this slight and momentary affliction that we are experiencing is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Our current problems and our current troubles, he, he calls them slight and momentary. Now many of you, if you are dealing with a lot of things, very rarely do they feel slight. Or momentary. Sometimes it seems that they will go on forever. Sometimes it's all we can see. It's all we can think about. It's all we can feel. He's not trying to diminish the reality of our struggles. He's not trying to deny our pain. He's not trying to deny that these things are with us day by day. He said, though the outward man is wasting away, Paul is quite aware of what it is to age and to grow older and to deal with the issues of, of the realities of life. But what he is saying is that all of those things, as true as they are, as real as they are, as much as they dominate your your world, in comparison, and that's what he says at the end of that verse, isn't it? Beyond all comparison. Comparatively, the perspective is they have no weight. Talks about an eternal weight of glory. And that these... Things, these afflictions that we deal with now have their slight momentary, they have no weight. Why wouldn't they have any weight? 
And he says the reason they have no weight is that they're temporary. They're temporary. They're for a time. They're for a season. These things shall pass, just as this life shall pass. James chapter 4 James says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What's he saying? He's saying, don't put all your chips in this basket. Live forward. (laughs) Live for eternity. Life is a vapor and it's waiting to pass. Sometimes it's hard for us to have perspective. Especially when we're young. We think that we will live forever in so many ways. But he says that these things are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, that these things, these unseen realities have weight. And the reason they have weight is they don't pass. They're eternal. They don't stop. They don't have an end. And so they have weight. They're more real than the flash and the glitter of the things in this life that seem so important. Those realities are more real Because even though they're unseen, and some of them are future, they're a future that doesn't end. They're a reality that the flash and the glitter isn't momentary. When the outer man is wasted away, the one who raised the Lord Jesus will bring us into his presence. And he's talking about an eternal life. And so living for that life, that's the issue between materialism and what the Bible would call spirituality or a life of the Spirit is this challenge that we have, this material world that is so real and so tangible and so day-to-day and and it's in our face and we wrestle with it between this and these these realities that we know, the kingdom of God, the, the risen Lord Christ, the Christ who is in us, a hope of glory, an eternal life, a, a life that doesn't end in His presence. And these things live within the same heart. Are we pilgrims or are we settlers? What has weight for us? What has the real weight in our lives? And that's where he's pushing us. In verse 18, he goes on to say, then as we look then not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He says, we pay more attention to the intangible things. That's what he means when we look to the things that are not seen. He says, we pay more attention to the kingdom of God than we do to other kind of economic and political realities in many ways of this world in this country. It doesn't mean that we're not good citizens. It doesn't mean we don't take those things seriously. It's just at the end of the day, we, we... Give more time and attention to the things that are unseen. Are we pilgrims or are we settlers? Where is our hope? What carries weight for us? These unseen realities are meant to govern our lives and inform our values and shape our thinking and structure our living. As Americans, it is so hard. It's so hard to get perspective here. That's one of the things if you've, I've said before in sermons that I believe every American Christian should go on a third world mission trip or two-thirds world, depending on how you do it. And one of the reasons is, is that it's perspective giving. You know, you see how the other two-thirds of the world lives, right? You get a sense of what life is like around the world. We don't have perspective. We live in the wealthiest nation on the planet. 
and it's all we know. And so our expectations are different than if you were raised in Central Africa, than if you were raised in South America, if you were raised in Central Asia, if you were raised in some other place. So we have certain expectations, certain values that press in on us. You know, I've been so fascinated by the Occupy movement. Many of you guys follow that and you watch it all over the country. We had Occupy downtown Chattanooga. You drive by down there and see the tents and people standing out there. We are the 99%, right? We are the 99, you know, down with the one, down with the one, right? They have everything. We have nothing, right? I got this off of their website. We are the 99 website. It says they're under number two in your bulletin. We are the 99. We're getting kicked out of our homes. We're being forced to choose between groceries and rent. We're being denied quality medical care. We're working for long hours for little pay and no rights if we're working at all. We're getting nothing. Well, the other 1% is getting everything. We are the 99%. Really? They're getting nothing? You know, I'm fascinated that most of the people involved in that movement were middle-class, disgruntled middle-class Americans who were getting nothing. You know, they're not the 99%. If you live this statistically speaking, it's just not true. They're, they're, the people they're describing in that paragraph are the 10 to 15%. And I'm not saying there aren't real struggles in our country right now economically, and the people are facing those real issues. Those issues are there, and, our, and people around us are struggling, and we need to be aware of that and being actually part of the solution to that. But the reality is most of us are not in that 10 to 15%. Most of us are in this 85%. And most of the people who are protesting are in that 85%. You know, most of us are not struggling between food and rent. That's happening. And for people who are, we need, we who are not part of that percentage need to be giving and helping and aiding and being part of the solution. But the reality is we're struggling with which luxuries am I going to do without? How do I cut back on my food bill. You know, how, how do I, am I going to take two vacations, am I going to have to just take one vacation or not quite as nice a vacation as last year? You know, am I going to have to, you know, cut back on my cable package? Am I going to have to, for, for a lot of us, the struggles are more in that area than they are between food and rent. And the reality is, even for many in our country who are having that struggle, statistically are better than 85% of the nation uh, people in the world. We have so much. You know, I've, there's this song that uh, this from the 70s, one of these spiritual hymn songs, and it's there in your bulletin, to turn your eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim, in the light of his glory and grace. You know, there's a lot of truth in there. That, that is a lot of what I am talking about this morning that would set us free from our materialism and help us to be more spiritually minded, that we would fix our eyes on things above and not on earthly things, right? That we would care about the right things in life and invest ourselves in the right way. If we would turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth would lose their power over us. And would set us free to to give ourselves away and to pursue Him and His kingdom. And to pursue being part of the problem which the 99% are trying to put before us. And there is a very real problem. 
But I want us to understand the opposite is also true, and it's there in your bulletin too. I've rewritten the ditty. I've rewritten the song. I am a songwriter in my spare time. And this is for Carl Sagan and his ilk, if they want it. Turn your eyes upon material prosperity. Look full in the American dream. And spiritual realities will grow strangely dim in the glare of its pleasure and ease. Right? There is truth in that. And what are we looking full at, right? If we look, if we look, turn our eyes upon Jesus or we turn our eyes upon material things in the American dream and what has power over us and what shapes our living. Possessions are not wrong. They're God-given. They're given for our enjoyment. And we need a good theology of creation that says God has given us every good thing. And that we are to enjoy what He has given with gratitude and thankfulness. The issue is not whether we should enjoy such things. It's that material blessings need to serve spiritual priorities. Right? Material blessings need to serve Spiritual priorities. He says, from the, from the very first pages of Scripture, I will bless you to be a blessing. I will bless you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. I will give to you to whom much is given, much is expected. I will bless you greatly so that you can be a great blessing. So that you can be a part of the solution. So that it can flow through you to a world that is in desperate need of blessing desperate need of help and, and aid and all the things that I've poured into your life. I will bless you, but it's not an end in itself. So how do we keep the unseen eternal things? Let me just in the last few minutes touch on a couple things here as we close. Materialism is a symptom of, a, of an inward disorder. Right? It's a failure of faith. It's a failure of, of where our faith is fixed. It's, it's a failure just as Paul describes it in this passage. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And materialism is the absolute, it's a failure of faith. This is a life of faith. And he says, and, and, and materialism is a reversal of this. We look not so much to the things that are unseen, but to the things that are seen. Right? That's materialism. Right? That's where we get lost. That's where we fall down. It's, it's a faith Failure of faith, of an, it's an internal issue, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so as we come and say, how do we counteract this tendency in our lives, this conformity to the world around us? And really, the world around us is obsessed with the material universe, whether it's sensual or, or consumeristic or whatever else it is. It's, it's concerned about, even the 99 are concerned. They have everything and we have nothing. And there's still this materialistic sense of what we deserve and we're not getting. There are the core spiritual practices. We looked at them last week as we talked about individualism that take place in the life of the church. They were the early church as they were brought together by the power and life of the Spirit and they gathered day by day and week by week. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Right, core spiritual practices in the life of God's people that we desperately need this devotion to the apostles' teaching. Not just on a Sunday morning where I stand and, and, and throw these things at you and, and, and 
proclaim it into our lives, but we have to go home and wrestle. I don't know about you, I was talking to Morgan this week, we're sitting at Starbucks and talking about these things, and I struggle with this myself. I am American through and through, you know, and there is this battle that takes place in us in, in terms of where do we put our money and what do we buy and where do we upgrade and where do we not and, and, and our, what do we do with our money and what do we do with our stuff and our time and where do we invest ourselves. And I'll tell you, I need every single day, I need God speaking into my life and telling me what's important. I need it every day. I need, I need God setting my compass on true north, shaking me awake, disengaging me from the things that are getting their claws into me, right? Setting me on the, on the narrow path, as we would say, right? It's, it's in God's word. It's only here that we get the clearest and strongest views of eternal realities and eternal things. I read the, the Bible and I, in my heart and my soul say, yes. You know, and the problem is the further away I get from his word, the further away I get away from those realities and those truths and the, fir- and the less strength that they have over me and the less power they have to shape my life and my thinking and my choosing and Every day I need to be reminded. Every day I need to be told again and, and for God to meet me in his word and set me free to live for the things that matter, to live for eternal things, for human souls, right? for the life that is to come, that, that my material blessings would serve the spiritual realities that he is speaking into our lives fellowship and worship and prayer. Let me just say about prayer. Do you know that a materialist never prays? In fact, prayerlessness is a symptom of a material orientation. The materialist never prays. Faith prays because it believes. Faith prays and it has fellowship with a living, unseen Christ day by day. I'm, in many ways, appealing for us and the answer we come around again and again is we need, the mystery is this, it's Christ in you who is the hope of glory. And Christ lives in us in power as we meet with him in his word and in prayer. I know I'm going to go a couple minutes perhaps past the uh, witching hour of noon. But let me just say a couple of really practical things that, that I'll leave you with and you can do with them what you will. What, what we're talking about here is God begins to set us free from this. What are some practical ways that it would look like? What are some things... Some of these are, are, are things that I've seen believers practice. I've practiced at some level myself in different ways. And I think is one of the things that, that, that God would call us to. There in your bulletin under the last point, Loveless says, Richard Loveless says, automatic conformity to middle class living standards is common among evangelicals. But it may have to be scaled back to a simpler lifestyle so that more money can be released for God's work. Right, that our lifestyle may need to be scaled back from just an automatic conformity to what I would call upward mobility. Right, there's an upward mobility that we pursue. We, you know, our 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 standard of living, our ability for our standard of living to rise, so we we it goes up and it consumes, and then our income goes up, or we get a raise or a new job, and then our standard of living goes up, and so our cost of living goes up. And there's this upward mobility in America that there's no end to. It's basically the sky is the limit. Just go, go, go. Get as high as you can, right? Get as much as you can. 
But what he is saying is that actually we would consciously set limits. That we would actually say, you know what, there's a standard of living that is good for me and my family. It's healthy. And that is the standard we're going to live at. And we're not going to keep climbing. And you know what happens when we do that? When we consciously set limits, we start to have extra. Because it's not consumed in upkeeping <laughs> that standard of life that, I, that we keep cr- crunching up. And so we begin to have, if, if I stay in this house and drive these cars and live this way and, and continue to just do modest things this way and this way, I'm going to have extra money. Money to go on missions trips, money to support missions trips, money to give into the mercy and to the Good Samaritan Fund, money to tithe and to give back to God, money on hand. I knew one couple that had a mercy account. They did this kind of thing, and so they took $100, $150 a month, they opened a separate checking account. And they just put money in there. And as they went around, as they were in a small group of people and someone was struggling, and they were part of the 10 or 15% who lost their job and are choosing between food and rent, they would write them a check for $1,000 and hand it to them. Why? Because they had margins. They had set their lifestyle. They're not ascetic. They're not monks. They're not, you know, living in poverty. They just put a limit on their lifestyle so that they would have margins, that they would be, they postured themselves financially to be able to be generous. Right? Imagine that. To choose deliberately a lifestyle that would posture me to have margins and extra, to give and to invest all these things from mercy to missions, to give money to people I know personally who need it. God is trying to unclutch our fingers. It's so hard because we're Americans and we don't even know that because we're like fish in water, you know, it's the water we swim in. But the word comes to us as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are unseen are eternal. And those are the things that are worth living for. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have come to you this morning as Americans, as Christians. We've come to you this morning knowing that we swim in a culture that is so hard to get disengaged from its values, its pursuits. Father, we want to be shaped by your word. We want to be shaped by the things that are not seen. We want to love the things that are eternal. We want to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow Christ. We want to wrestle through what does it mean, Father, to pursue and to seek your kingdom first. Let all these other things be added to us. I'm not even sure I know what that means in my own life, but I ask for us, your people, that you would shake us awake day by day, morning by morning, that you would remind us and speak to us of eternal things, that we might live well, so that more and more people would come to know you, and it would overflow in thanksgiving to the glory of your name, and your kingdom that is coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.